Amen. Amen. Good morning. How's everybody? Are you awake? Let's wake up, everybody, okay? Let's, I know the lights were dim, and it was feeling nice and warm in here. It's been cold weekend. Uh, man, I am I am so excited to be here today. Uh, first service, I had an awesome service. So thankful that I got to, to preach this morning. Get to do it again. If you're a guest, you're with us. If it's your first time for here on a Sunday morning worship service, uh, I just want you to know we're welcome. We're so pumped that you're here, and uh, we actually have a gift that we want to give you today. And so, if you didn't, if you got a card when you came in. Um, as a guest, if it's your first time with us, hopefully you got a card. If you didn't, those cards are by the welcome desk on your way out. And we've got a special gift that, gift, gift that we want to give you today. We're struggling. It's going to be a long sermon because that tongue is tied up, all right? <clears throat> we have a gift for you. Uh, we're just excited that you're here. Fill out the card, drop it by the, the, the table on your way out on the right. Uh, we'd love to give you that gift. If you're watching online, uh, the best place that you can let us know that you're watching and let us know how to pray for you is East Connect at, to 31996. Text East Connect to 31996. You'll get a link from us. Fill it out, and we'll reach out to you and just thank you for being here. But, man, before we dive into God's Word today, I do want you to know, man, just how thankful that I am for this week of ministry that we've had. The last 10 days have been an incredible testimony of the faithfulness of this church, even in the midst of pandemic, even in the midst of social distancing, even in the midst of, ah, we're a little uncomfortable around people, even in the midst of all that, you guys have proven yourself and just how awesome you are. And uh, I know you didn't do it because you're awesome, but we had a great Christmas house last Friday night. And, uh, man, we had like 35 volunteers here making our people feel welcome that were coming in uh, for that we could help them with gifts. And thank you if you served that night. Uh, we, we provided gifts for over 60 families, right? Like I tell people that and they think I'm pastoring a mega church, right? But, like, th- it's the faithfulness of you guys to give freely so that others can have uh, gifts this Christmas. We're so thankful. If you provided gifts this year, you're awesome, Okay. Uh, then we invited all those Christmas house families to come back for Big Night. And Big Night is, was a really fun time where we had costumes and we had all these different char- Christmas characters coming in and, and three very special characters who danced on stage and um, and more that danced on stage too. But it was really, really awesome time and uh, for our kids. We had a snow machine right up here that was covering the floor in snow. It was just a really, really cool time. And, uh, man, I'm so thankful for all the volunteers that went into that and wore goofy costumes uh, to try to make our kids smile. Um, it is important what we did this week, and I want you to know that, and I'm thankful for you. Um, one of the most well-known Christmas carols, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. Uh, one of the most well-known, second only to Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer. Uh, you can fact check me on that. I'm pretty sure it's accurate. Um, but you may not know this. I'm going to give you a couple of like weird worship hymn nerdy facts. Um, but this Joy to the World was originally penned by Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts was a, a hymn writer uh, from many, many moons ago. Um, he's the hymn writer who also gave us the, the hymns, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, uh, if, you, if you're familiar with that old hymn. And then, Alas, and did my Savior bleed. If you know that, that became the verses for the song At the Cross, but the verses were written by Isaac Watts many, many years ago. Um, here's what was interesting, though, just a little research. Joy to the World was not a Christmas song. It was not written to be a Christmas song. It was written as part of a larger hymnal that Isaac Watts put together with just a beautiful, succinct title, The Psalms of David, 
imitated in the language of the New Testament and applied to the Christian state and worship. Just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? I think he needed some help from a publisher that could have said, hey, let's shorten it. How about Good Hymns? That would have been a good title for this, but uh, Isaac Watts went for something really... You can impress your friends with that. That has nothing to do with the message. But when I sing songs like Joy to the World, when I sing those, it stirs Christmas memories from years past. Growing up in 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 a Baptist church in North Alabama, well, we're still in North Alabama, and up near the state line, right, and just singing joy to the world with my church family, holding my mom and dad's hands as we sing, right? Like, uh, there's, uh, my mind is full of emotion. And here's the point. At this time, when we start singing Christmas songs, or any time you're singing a worship song that you're super, it's just ingrained in your mind, the, the, the dangerous thing for us can be to sing it without thinking about the lyrics, right? Because you know them so well. They just roll off the tongue, and you don't even think about what you're singing, Joy of the World, all, all of these Christmas songs are like that for me. And for me, what we've got to do is slow down and ask the question, what, is we, what do we mean when we say, joy to the world, the Lord has come? Like there's, that's a beefy statement, and we just sing it <laughs> as we go caroling down the street, right? But there, there's a, that is a beefy statement that I want us to talk about today um, through Luke chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 2. Um, my hope today is to walk through the encounter that the shepherds have in Luke 2 to see some incredible truths for us. I'm going to read 20 verses today, and uh, my tongue-tiedness uh, is, could prove this to be difficult, but we're going to do this together. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 through 20. This is the, you know, kind of the traditional Christmas story. Um, we haven't read it in its entirety yet, so I'm going to do that. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the family line of David. He was to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. An angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left him and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart and meditated on them. 
the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Let me say a word of prayer, and we'll come back and start looking at this, studying it together. Father, we trust, God, that your word um, uh, is true. And, God, it's exactly what you want us to have. God, it's a perfect revelation of who you are. And, uh, God, more so than you want us to see ourselves in the Scripture, you want us to see you. And so, Father, I pray today, um, God, as we begin to look at uh, this, uh, this encounter that the shepherds have, God, I pray that uh, what we walk away with is who you are. Um, and who we are in light of who you are. God, help us today um, to, uh, to understand the scriptures and guide me as we study through this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, as I said, this is kind of a pretty traditional um, reading, Luke 2, 1 through 10, but we're going to look at just a few verses out of this. Um, but if you've got a note sheet when you came in, the first thing we want to look at and this doesn't sound very happy, clappy, Christmassy, but we're going to get there, I promise. In the glory of God, sinners find fear. Uh, that's what we see happening in verses 8 and 9 of Luke chapter 2. I don't want to read it to you again. The same region, shepherds were there in, their, in the fields watching uh, over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were what? Terrified. Terrified. Listen, I know, yes... An angel showing up in the midst of a field would scare you, but the focus of the scripture is not on the angel, but on the glory of the Lord that was around them. You see, when mankind comes into contact with the glory of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And what we see the shepherds do is not get really excited. They get really terrified. Now, when I thought about that, I thought about Isaiah chapter 6. If you're familiar with Isaiah chapter 6, man, it's one of those verses that you, one of those chapters you just need to study. Isaiah, who was a prophet in the Old Testament, he experiences the glory of God and he literally talks about a vision that he has of being in the throne room of God. Right, And when he's there, he says that the, the train of God's robe filled the temple and he begins to go into all these details of what he sees. And then in verse 5, he says this, Then I said... Woe is me, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. See, this is the natural response of a sinful human being in the presence of God. Because God is totally, 100% perfect. We cannot, as sinners, stand before a holy God. We cannot be in His presence uh, some of you, uh, some of you, who's, who's like highly allergic to peanut butter? Anybody just highly, how about a little bit allergic to peanut butter? This would help. Okay, okay one, I won't look around, but one. Uh, if you have peanut butter, just stay on this side of the room today, okay? Um, no, oh, not that, in the middle, maybe, okay? Um, so we've all got these, and so the, what's interesting, when you've got an allergy, even if it's in the area, right? I've heard stories of, uh, of uh, Leslie. Leslie, she's allergic to poinsettias. And she can sniff them out from like a mile away. She's like, there's a poinsettia near me. You know, she starts panicking, right? She starts bagging up. And some people are allergic that way. Like you can't be in the presence of that. That's the way sinful human beings are in the presence of God. We cannot be there because God is holy. And when you think of a human being being in the presence of God, they're going to go up and give him a hug or they're going to be pumped to see him. But no, 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 they fall on their knees. Like Isaiah doesn't fist bump God, Right? What does Isaiah say? Woe is me, dude. I am not worthy to be here. 
and his head is down. That's what we see the shepherds. The shepherds are hanging out in the field. The Lord shows up with his, his glory is there and they experience it and they are overwhelmed by the glory of our perfect God. What I want you to see is not so much about you yet, but how good our God is. Okay? God is totally perfect in every single way. In the ways that you and I try to be, God already is those things. And so there's a verse, though, that throws a wrench in all this. If human beings can't be in the presence of God, then how does the author of the book of Hebrews say that we can come boldly to the throne of God? If you've got a Bible, flip to Hebrews chapter 4, because I don't think they'll be on the screen. Maybe they will, I don't remember. Hebrews chapter 4, man, this is such a cool, a cool passage. The author of, uh, of Hebrews, who we don't have a, really a clue who wrote it, but it's so filled uh, with the Spirit of God that we know um, that we can trust it. Verse 14. Well, verse 16 is the one. Therefore, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Now, the author of Hebrews says go boldly. Do you see the shepherds in the, in the, the glory of God bold? No. Do you see Isaiah coming up to the throne boldly? No. How then can we experience the presence of God with boldness? Verse 16 starts with the word, therefore. Church, if you haven't caught this yet, we need to take note of that. So let's go back up. Look at verse 14. Since we have a great high priest talking about Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Do you see this? How can you and I, if God is perfectly holy and we are sinners, how can we come boldly to the throne? The author of Hebrews says, because we have a high priest. A high priest is a mediator, somebody who takes the hand of man and takes the hand of God and says, you're good. Right? We, this is the connection. And Jesus is that for us. That's what he says. Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet he did it without sin. Therefore, because Christ is our Savior and he is without sin, we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. And that's where, that's where we begin to see what happens next. Point number two, if you're, if, you're a note, if you're taking the notes, in the coming of Christ, sinners find joy. So we talked about in the glory of God, sinners find fear, but in the coming of Christ, sinners find joy. What happens in verse 10? Uh, verse 9 um, of, of Luke chapter 2, the angels are terrified, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And then he goes in to talk about how Jesus has been born and y'all need to go check him out. And so the question is, does this change? Does the coming of Christ change the attitude of the shepherds? Look down at verse 20. The shepherds returned from seeing Jesus. And what were they doing? Glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. 
You see, these shepherds were out in the field and the glory of God showed up and they knew that they were unworthy to be there. But then they begin to hear about the coming of Christ, that Christ has been born and this changed their attitude. They're no longer sinners in the presence of a holy God, right? And so if you've been redeemed by Jesus, if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, if you have a relationship with God, however you want to word it, the Bible uses a lot of several different ones. You and I can find joy, not fear. And I'm just going to tell you, when I, when I, think, uh, when I think about um, 2020, like you, 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 okay, in your mind, run a, run a little T-chart here. Okay? Fear on one side, joy on the other. How many instances you got on the joy side? How many you got on the fear side? Is it lopsided? Probably. It probably is. Listen, church, that's not good because Christ has come and we can have joy. Those of us who are in Christ can have real joy. The angels told the shepherds that they didn't need to be afraid. They needed to rejoice. Why? Because a Savior had been born. A Savior, that's language, and we're not Hebrews, and we don't understand the Old Testament as much as the, the Israelites did, but the, the word Savior is this idea, the promise of God, as Patrick prayed before, that God is a keeper of his promises, and for generations God had told his people, I'm going to send a Savior to save my people. Jesus is that Savior. And then he uses the word Messiah or Christ. This was the, this was the a, a direct uh, Old Testament conversation that God was going to send someone who was going to redeem and restore everything that had been broken among the people. And then he uses the word Lord. This is all in Luke chapter 2 from the angel. And he uses the word Lord, which is a very important word in the Old Testament. If you've got an Old Testament text and you can flip back there, when, when Lord is all caps, that's the, word, that's the Hebrew word Yahweh. And that is... The way I used to say this in student ministry is that's God's first name. Okay, that's maybe a poor way to say it. But that's, that's what I best understand. When the, when the Israelites wanted to talk about God in a personal, in a real way, they used the word Yahweh. And so now in the New Testament, we're seeing, we're seeing a Greek form of the same word. This is the word Lord. So it's saying that Jesus is not only the Savior who's going to rescue his people, he's not only the Christ who's going to restore his people, he's also the Lord who, has, who is, uh, who is uh, the creator of all the people. So this is a loaded statement, okay? And we need to take note of that. Matthew had a similar one at the beginning, Genesis, uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, there's a similar declaration that Jesus is the fulfillment of all this stuff that we've been talking about. And Christ came into the world, and now there is reason for joy. These sinners who were just now fearful in God's presence are told that they can have joy. And the change is that Christ has come. Now, the angels make another declaration that this joy will be for all people. Point number three, this joy will be for all people. And I'm going to add something as we're going to look at some other texts. And all situations. This joy is for all people in all situations. In one sense, uh, the, the joy of the coming of Christ is for all people. Because now all people have 
have in front of them a way to be made right before God. That's before every human being on the earth that has lived and will live. There is a, a choice for them to make right now before them to accept Christ or to not, to experience the joy of Christ or not. The people who once were separated from God now have a way to be made right. However, we know that joy will only be experienced by those who trust in Him. First Peter chapter one, man, is a is a beautiful. Um, Peter begins this letter. I'm going to read verses eight and nine. Um, this is Jesus, or this is Peter referring to Jesus. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though not seeing Him now, you believe in Him, and you rejoice with inexpressible. And glorious joy. In verse 9, Peter gives us the why. Because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter says that the, the response to salvation for us, when we trust in Jesus Christ, the response is an inexpressible joy. And so let me ask again, step away and ask some questions. When people look at you and me, do they see joy? Do we seem like a joyful people in the world? And I told the first service this, and and, in transparent moment, I'm going to tell you. You come to my house anytime you want. Just text me. Make sure we can clean the floors. Come come to our house. Our kids are gross. Y'all got, man, my kids are just gross. They make a mess. It's not dad at all, is it, Mom? <laughs> anyway, shh, okay. Come to my house. What you will see when you walk in my house, besides dad having to raise his voice to his kids, right? That's not necessarily joyful. But what you'll see in my house is a family of joy. You'll see a dad who loves his wife, who loves his kids, and teaches them about the things of God. You'll see us pray before our meals. You'll see Bibles. You'll see uh, an Advent thing over in the corner like that we do Advent at home. You'll see devotion uh, books for Advent stuff. You'll see our kids talking about hope, joy, and peace, and love. Although we haven't got to joy and love yet. We'll talk about those tonight with the kids. But you'll see those things when you come in my house. But the question is not, is there joy in your home? The question is, is there joy in your life? Because your home, though a large part, is a small section of your life. And if, if my kids are the only ones who see joyful daddy, man, may it be shamed on me, right? May that not be so. And if your kids are the only ones who get to see joy, that's not what God designed. Your joy is to be not just in the home, but in the workplace, your joy is not just to be with those, to be seen by those you like. Your joy is to be seen by those you've never met, those that you experience on the in the in the, in the uh, hallways at work that you've never met in the mall. Heaven forbid, on the highways, <laughs> right? People should see joy in us everywhere, not just some compartmentalized joy. Because if you can compartmentalize it, then I would question whether it's real joy. And I'm speaking to myself, not just you. Is, is joy, is it real or is it something that's temporary? I, I'm, uh, there's a, a, Tim Mackey, is a, he was a pastor, but now he's leading this uh, 
nonprofit movement organization called the the Bible Project, and they have some really cool Bible resources. And I'd encourage you to uh, to go check them out and uh, read with some discernment. Um, but ninety nine percent of their stuff is awesome. But he wrote about um, about joy, and I thought it was really really good. He says it's it, he he, and this is my words. It's not uh, an idea of turning that frown upside down, right? But this is what he says. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. The key word I want you to listen for is decision as we go through this. I'm going to read it one more time. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. Now, the way we want joy to be is an emotion. We want joy to be something that stirs up in us and that we control. But I truly believe when we look at what joy is, yes, there is an overwhelming, there is a filling up of that. But at the end of the day, it is a decision that you and I make that we will have hope and we will have continued faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And that's when it begins to boil out of us. It's not something that God's just going to zap and begin to pour out of you. There's a difference between being happy and being joyful. I heard it said one time, and this is is cheesy, but it works. Happiness depends on what happens. Joy doesn't. Joy doesn't. Joy is inexpressible, as Peter said, but it's also not conditional. I want to show you from the scriptures the most perfect example of what I'm talking about. Paul wrote a letter to the church at a place called Philippi. And this letter he wrote, uh, it's in your Bibles, um, it is the is Paul, it mentions joy more and joy and rejoicing more than any other book that Paul wrote any other letter. But he uses them in a lot of ways, and I want to read some of these ways. And as I'm reading through these, you you tell me whether this is something you find joy in. He says to pray to God with joy. Okay, we get that. It's chapter one, verse four. He says, "Man, I rejoice when Christ's name is proclaimed." Man, when you, when you see missionaries sent out and when you see the gospel going into places it's never been and Christ's name is being proclaimed, does that give you joy? Yes, absolutely it does. Look at this, verse 18. Verse 25, joy. He says to have joy in a continued faith for the Galatians, which may be a misprint now that I'm reading it. I'm pretty sure it's the Philippians. <laughs> yes, Joy in the continued faith of the Philippians. He says, I find joy in the fact that you guys are continuing in your faith. Man, isn't it good to see a Christian? Man, I love to see little kids who are saved at a young age and then they become old and they're still following Jesus. Doesn't that fire you up? Man, it does me. It gets me pumped to see that God is still at work in their life and he has not left them and for, nor forsaken them and he continues to grow them and they've continued to be obedient to that. And then he says, my joy being completed in the unity of the church. Man, isn't it good when a church loves each other well? And it's hard work to love each other well. That's another sermon, but it's the unity of the church. Paul says, I find joy in that. It's chapter 2, verse 2. And then he says, I find joy. And he says, to rejoice. We're being killed for our faith. Did you sense that? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you feel the heaviness of that shift? 
Right? It's all these good things. It's all this awesome stuff that you and I would go, yeah, yeah, that's joyful. Absolutely. Who couldn't find joy in that? And then he says, rejoice if you get an opportunity to be killed for your faith. Rejoice in those of, of your friends and neighbors who have been killed because they believe in Jesus. That's demented unless it's centered on Christ. That's weird unless it's everything that God's called us to be and do. See, when you notice some of these, all these things, there, there are times where it's easy to be happy. But we're called to find joy even in the down times, even in the times where we fail. Do you know where Paul wrote the letter to Philippi? He was in prison. He's in prison writing about joy. He's in prison writing about joy. We find it difficult to find an ounce of joy in the midst of a pandemic that will end. Paul knows he's got a life sentence. He knows his death is sure. And he's got joy. And I, as a pastor, struggle to find joy in the midst of a pandemic that one day is going to be a memory. On this earth, Lord willing. You see how messed up and how just confused we are about what joy really is. This is the difference between happy and joy. We can find happiness in, in, in things that are good, but Paul says it is true joy when we can find happiness and even when things are going bad. So I want to ask some questions, as I like to do. Questions that struck me this week. Questions that I wrestled with. I hope you wrestle with them too. Because this is what it looks like to grow in our faith. We've got to wrestle with hard questions. Is your life more characterized by fear or joy? If I were to go to everybody you know and poll them, snuck into your little circle, your little bubble, I ask your family, your friends, your parents, your children, your cousins, your co-workers, your boss. And I asked them, tell me about old JJ. <laughs> no, I'm not asking y'all to. This is rhetorical. <laughs> tell me about JJ. Do you, do, you, do you see him as somebody who's more fearful or somebody who's more joyful? Right? And those are hard questions. I'm not sure what everybody in my life would say to you. I hope that most of the people in my life would say, there's something about that guy, even if they don't know Christ. I hope that my, friend, my friends, especially my neighbors who don't know Christ, I pray that what they see in me is not some scared, <laughs> uh, just, what's the term? Yellow, what is it when you got a, anyway, yellow-bellied, whatever it is. I was trying to think of something. I hope that they don't see somebody who's just living in fear of every day. I hope what they see is somebody who's passionately moving forward in my life with joy. And the question is, if people, are, if, if people around you don't say that about you, why? If you claim to be a Christian and you claim to have this relationship with Christ and you claim to have been changed by the blood of Jesus, how can we live in fear? 
how can we? There, there, there's a disconnect. There's one of two disconnects. One is maybe you haven't experienced real joy in Christ. Maybe you haven't truly been saved by the blood. Maybe you made a decision. Uh, maybe you were just going through the motions of being baptized or you did something at some point in your life. But if you didn't believe that Jesus was the only one who could take away your sins, then you weren't saved. And you haven't experienced real joy. And that would explain why you're fearful. But I believe for, for others of us, I believe we have experienced the real joy in Christ, but we're allowing our circumstances to overshadow what we know to be true. We're allowing our circumstances to change what we know about God, the promises that he's made, real joy. And here's the, man, the, the follow-up to that. Are you sharing this? And that's challenging to me too, right? Like, are we sharing this? You got 12 days till everybody forgets about Christmas. Let's be honest, okay? Once Christmas is done, everybody's tired. We're ready to get the decorations down. A lot of people, not us, they stay up through February. But a lot of people, they're just done with Christmas. But you got 12 days. You go to your neighbor's house. You know what they're talking about at their house? Christmas. You go to your workplace. Guess what your boss is thinking about? Christmas. Everybody, the entire country, the entire area, they're thinking about Christmas. What an easy inroad to say. Hey, let me tell you about Christmas. Let me tell you about the joy I have and what Christmas really means. Are you showing and sharing real joy with those around you? Because again, joy cannot just be confined to your home. Don't just be a joyful daddy. Be a joyful Christian in every aspect of our lives. I'm going to say a word of prayer. We're going to have a last song. And uh, Patrick and his team are going to come up now and begin to get ready for that song. And uh, what I want to do is uh, give us time to pray. Um, Give you time to just kind of wrestle with those questions, right? Are you more fearful or are you more joyful? Um, Wrestle with those questions and begin to ask, where am I? And this is a time for you to, you can sing as response to God. You can pray right where you are. If you have a burden for somebody else, you can come to this altar and lift up those prayers for other people on behalf of other people. Man, what a what better thing to do on a Sunday morning than to, to lift up someone else to God in prayer. And if you've never trusted in Jesus, please talk to us. We've got decision counselors by the back door that are awesome and very friendly, I promise you. And I'll also be down front during this last song. But during this last song, if you're just wrestling with something and you need somebody to help you process it, go talk to one of our counselors at the back door. Come up here and talk to me. We just want to help you. We don't want you to leave with uncertainty. We don't want you to leave with fear in your mind. I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're all going to stand. And you respond however God leads you to do today, okay? Let's pray together. God, I thank you for these candles that sit before me. God, not that these candles hold any kind of value or power, but God, they represent something so incredibly important for us as Christians. God, they represent the hope that we can have in Christ. They represent the peace that we can have. And they represent the joy. And I pray that I'm known as a hopeful, peaceful, peaceable, joyful Christian. 
every day of my life, no matter where I go. And I pray that over this church, God, that we become a church marked by these type things. God, not just as a church who gathers to sing and to be with one another, but God, that we become a church and continue to be a church that goes out to the neighbors, to our neighbors and the nations. I'm thankful, God, for this season. I pray that you'd help us to make effective use of the time we have. The next 12 days, God, I pray that you'd help us to impact others' lives for the gospel. We love you and we pray that today you would lead us to live differently. In Jesus' name.